The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again. Welcome to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Coming to you from Orlando, but also in our shepherd cities of Ocala, the Villages, and Gainesville, and of course here at our flagship station in Orlando. We're so glad to have all of you along with me today in the studio. It's a return of a familiar face and a loved face, I might add, by our entire organization at The Shepherd. Brittany Parks was a part of us for almost a year, just two weeks shy of a year. And boy, did she make her mark on The Shepherd in that year. Uh, Brittany left us last February, February of, uh, oh, it's been about a year ago, I guess now, almost to the day that uh, Brittany left and has had other endeavors, still a part of the scene though, both in churches and she always was very involved in the political scene. And uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about living life out in the public square, living life out in our communities, wherever they may be, wherever you're listening. Uh, we have uh, a great governor in the state of Florida, and a lot of people are wondering if this governor is going to make a run for the presidency. We're going to find that out probably in the next several months. But Brittany is here today to talk about governors, not the presidency, but the governors and their role in America, especially post-Roe. So, Brittany, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Today is such a special day. Today is actually my birthday. So thank Ah. you so much for inviting me to celebrate my birthday and share the good news. Well, we need to have a cupcake and candle (laughs) for that. I mean, that's great. Brittany, tell me, give us a little update on, on how you are. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm healthy. I have a roof over my head. God is good. Uh, I no complaints here. Um, but I did have to sound the alarm on something that was breaking my heart uh, when the failed federal government fails to act um, through partisan politics. That's when the governors have to step up and take care of their citizens. And so uh, not too long ago, last uh, this Sunday, I was published in the Washington Examiner. That's and right. that's what we're going to talk about today and uh, how governors have become the protectors of the American dream. Well, we're going to break that down completely in a moment. Uh, let's talk about generally speaking now. You are, uh, and and I know that uh, your family came over from Mexico, so I think you were born in America, though, right? That's correct. I'm a yeah. first-generation American, um, a first-generation college graduate from my family as well. On my mother's side, um, my mother was two years old when she came to the United States. My grandmother was a f- uh, field worker for 34 years. She's uh, picked from lettuce to carrots to you name it. She was an agricultural worker. She only had a first grade education, but she came to the United States legally um, through the Bracero program, which brought field workers in from Mexico to come for a temporary basis. And then from there, she got legal paperwork over to um, bring her family over. And she was a green card holder until the day she died. Mm. And your family now, I think all of you were naturalized though, right? So my mom was a naturalized citizen. That's correct. And Mm -hmm. all of her siblings were naturalized as well. And um, for my grandmother, she can say that she had uh, three grandchildren that served in the military. She has one engineer. She has um, those that are in public service. Um, And that's all from a green card holder that came to the United States here legally as an agricultural worker feeding America. Well, you know, there's all the talk and we hear it every day. You can't get away from it. The whole discussion about what's going on at the border, especially the border in Texas and Arizona. uh, It is it's just a shooting match down there. Sadly, that's a literal statement. Uh, It's very sad what's going on. Uh, The influx of not only people. But the cartels in Mexico are running in with drugs. It's as if fentanyl has a pipeline that is as wide as uh, all of Texas right now coming into the United States. So there are many reasons why I think you being here talking about the role of doing it the right way. And, And that means everything from immigration coming in legally, as you said, 
versus what's happening right now. Uh, and all of this, I, it, you're right. When a moment ago, when you said you can't take a blind eye to the stuff that's going on, I, I believe more and more people, Brittany, are wanting to get involved and let their voice be heard in some way through some means. And that is something that that should be happening to us all, right? Absolutely. Immigration is a complicated and complex issue, but securing our border is not and should not in any way, shape or form. No one knows this better than immigrants who came to the United States legally, who fought for the opportunity to pursue the American dream in a way that respects our nation's sovereignty and its laws. We understand that a nation needs a secure border. It's not partisan. It's not controversial. It's a matter of public health, economic sovereignty and national security. And that's yeah. something people really don't talk about. Um, if we don't have a secure border, we don't have a nation. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you think about the federal government's role. The number one role should be to protect its citizenry. But that doesn't seem to be happening right now. Absolutely. With more than 2 million immigrants entering the U.S. in 22, 2022 alone, uh, we must ensure that the path to opportunity exists on the other side of our golden door. That means communities like El Centro, California, Yuma, Arizona, Del Rio, Texas, they've become beacons of prosperity for migrants for generations. But now their residents, including families like mine, are tired, poor, and in desperate need of mm. help. Now, you grew up in California, right? That's correct. I grew up 10 minutes away from the Mexican border. It was normal for my family to have tacos across the border and come back. It's literally a, a fence. A, a literal fence that separates one community from the other. But that fence is a border that separates one community, one nation from one another. Mm -hmm. You see the disparity like black and white where you see children begging when you're coming across or when you go to the grocery store, they're begging your bagging your groceries. And I'm talking children as young as five. Mm -hmm. That would never happen. When you want to talk about child labor laws, they're alive and well in Mexico. And, you know, we have, you know, there's video, we've seen the images of parents throwing their kids up and over the fences and, and, you know, all of this stuff about cages and all that that came out and accusations about this leader and it poor Donald Trump. It seems that he, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people would even laugh at me saying that, but I, I think it's hilarious to me how often he is blamed for you name whatever problem it is. And I just could not believe this last week. He was being blamed somehow for the train derailment in Ohio. Now, go figure. I know that's just silly. I mean, if you really go down to the root of the cause, unfortunately, due to Congress's failure to act on the crisis at our southern border, America's border communities have been left to shoulder the economic social costs of a broken immigration system. Now, many communities like these are on the brink of collapse and state leaders have been criticized for criticized for attempting to alleviate the problems that our federal government has just ignored. Yeah. Partisan politics has gotten in the way every single time when a real leader comes together and they're solution oriented and we need real leaders in this nation. You know, I'm concerned about where we are as a nation right now, because I'm not sure that any of us, especially those of us that are farther away from the border than Texas. Uh, my own son lives, as you know, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's kind of shielded from even the border areas of Texas. Texas is huge. And so we, uh, we've we got this great nation, and I'm all for immigrants coming in. Uh, I don't understand, though, the role that the government is taking right now and the, the position that they're taking. And they're just turning, in my mind, Brittany, a, a blind eye to the problems that, that are happening. And those poor people who are guards around the, the border down there in Texas, they're getting no rest. They're working 24-7 often, and they're dealing what has to be uh, seemingly to them a, a never-ending and, and a no-win situation at the border. Our Border Patrol are our first line of defense. In towns like El Centro and Yuma, for example, America's migrant crisis has become the number one public health emergency. This year alone, at least two hospitals on the southern border have had to consider closing their doors. Mm -hmm. Since hospitals treat patients regardless of their ability to pay, the largely uninsured migrant population has drained the border hospitals and their financial resources necessary to serve their patients. Now, I just want you to picture this. If a Border Patrol agent gets attacked by someone, a cartel, if, God forbid, something were happen on the border, 
there's no place for them to be treated. In a town like El Centro, that means that they would be airlifted to San Diego, which is 120 miles away. In a town like Yuma, that means they would be sent to Phoenix, Arizona, which is a three-hour drive. Hmm. Or they would also be airlifted away. If something dire happened, like a heart attack with elderly population, if a shooting, you name it. These hospitals are, this is why the House Judiciary Committee is actually flying to Yuma, Arizona on Thursday. It is unlike anything that has happened. Uh, McCarthy, our new speaker, speaker of the House, is actually bringing the people's house to the people, which Mm -hmm. is a novel concept. They're actually going to have a meeting with um, Chairman Jim Jordan, with Tom McClintock, with Andy Briggs, with Matt Gates. With Tam, uh, with um, Congressman Bishop. I mean, the list goes on. But honestly, they're going to be at the Yuma City Hall Town Chambers in Yuma, Arizona. That is this, that is like bringing it right there. It is bringing it to the front lines. They're going to see the people face to face. The people that have been struggling. The witnesses are going to be Jonathan Lines from the Yuma County Supervisors District Two, uh, Mr. Leone that is with the Sheriff's Department. Mr. Robert Tenshaw, which is with the Yuma um, Regional Medical Center, they're going to be witnesses and testifying firsthand on what's going on at the border and why their hospital and their city is on the brink of collapse. Mm -hmm. If that happened anywhere in the United States and not the border, it wouldn't be tolerated. But this has been going on for years. I know. You know, when I think about what uh, has just happened this week in Asbury, and there's an aspect that it occurs to me that really applies to what's going on at the border and with these border communities. Asbury, and they came out with a big announcement Sunday night that they were going to be ending with the Monday afternoon public uh, meeting that was uh, scheduled for 2 o'clock. That was going to be the last public gathering that they did. And the reasons are they're not putting a blind eye or shutting the door to uh, an ongoing move of God. They're just saying the community of Asbury, and in particular the city of Wilmore, they're overwhelmed by this amazing amount of people coming in. Uh, these people that are coming into Wilmore, they're, they're believers. They are there with a purpose. They're there legally. They're going in to see this. But there is this aspect, isn't there, of so many people that the town was just breaking at the seams, busting at the seams. And so when you now you take that one thing and they said, because of that, for the good and the safety of the people and the safety of all the guests coming in, they were going to be looking, needing to look at a venue somewhere in central Kentucky that could handle that kind of ongoing crowd to have the facilities. That's the reason that the town fathers and the, uh, the officials at, at Asbury have given. You fast forward, take that same thing. That's exactly what our our border communities, the cities, the towns, all along the Texas and Arizona border and even California, they are being completely overwhelmed day in and day out. And the government, instead of coming in, and I'm glad to hear that McCarthy's going down and having a face-to-face, but for the longest time, the person that we were told was to put in charge of this border thing was Kamala Harris. And I I think, if I'm not mistaken, Brittany, I believe she's only gone once and did not go for months after they became in, uh, their administration came in power. So I I don't know the exact numbers on all of that, but I know most people are feeling that not enough, and what has happened, it's been too late, too short, too little, too late, to help down down there. And so they're being overwhelmed. We've got to get some help for our people in Texas, in California, in Arizona, New Mexico. The way I see it is in order for us to spread the gospel, we have to be we have to be whole in ourselves before we can go share with other people. That's the same thing with the American dream. We have to be whole and being taken care of our own flock. And if we're not taking care of our own flock, we can't go to other nations and tell other nations about the gospel. Even if we wanted to, we need to be uh, sound in our doctrine and spiritually and physically and able to go tell the good news. It's not that Americans don't want to share the American dream and embrace other cultures and other people. We are the golden door, the land of prosperity. But at the same time, 
we need to be able to take care of ourselves before we can help our neighbor. I agree. And in order to do so, um, we need federal solutions. Yep, we do. We got to find those solutions. Now, here's a question for you, and I'd like uh, I'd like for you to answer this now from your family, maybe thinking even about how you think your parents would answer this. What are they saying? What are people like your own family members who came over legally to this United States of America, and either through naturalization or through green cards that were given legally? What are their thoughts? How do they feel? How do they view what's going on? Oh, that's such a complex and complicated question. Um, just knowing uh, my family and knowing the complications of of the immigration system alone, because depending on how you got into the United States is going to be the lens that you view the opportunity of being in the United States. If you come from a country like Cuba or Venezuela, you're your viewpoint on life is very different because you had a dictator telling you what to do. In Mexico, it's not, or in Mexico and other countries like Mexico, that's not the same viewpoint. And not everybody coming through the southern border, I want to clarify, is Mexican. They're coming from Central. Oh, Cent- that's right. They're it, coming they're from Central coming America. Mexico. There's Chinese coming from there. There is Indians from India coming through there. For all nations are coming through there because they know that the border is open. The southern border is open. So that's the first clarification I want to give is not everyone coming from the southern border is Mexican. That's for, right. For a vast part they they are from different parts of the world they don't even speak spanish actually um there have been people that have been interviewed there's a large amount of people that are not even from central america that are coming through and you know what's scary Brittany, is the fact that we don't even know i, I don't know that anyone knows the exact number of illegals that have come in the number bannered about is two million people coming in so you imagine if you took all of them and put in one city, the size of that city, the influx and importance that that number is going to kind of disseminate uh, if they're allowed to stay here. And uh, so Florida is about the size of 20 million people for you, mm-hmm. for the audience to to grasp. Um, think about a small state like Delaware. Yeah. What would that do to a city like that? So when Ron DeSantis sent um, a plane to a state that embraced those policies. He wanted to make a statement. It wasn't to be mean or cruel. It was to make a statement. You want to embrace these policies, but look how it impacts your community. Right. But we were talking back about how we don't know who they're coming from or where they're coming from. There is what's called Title 42. During COVID, President Trump enacted Title 42. That meant you could not come to the United States because of a health reason. People were not allowed to come into the United States because of COVID or whatever the health. But that was the the alarm the United States government was sounding because, quote unquote, COVID is over or the numbers have dropped in a dramatic way. Title 42 is over. So now what the Border Patrol are doing is called catch and release. They catch you. They release you back into the United States. Now, didn't uh, 42, didn't it get stayed uh, by the Supreme Court for a little while? For a little while, we did have Title 42, but now Title 42 is gone. Oh, I wasn't even aware that that uh, stay ended then. Yes, but but because Title 42 is gone, that's why we see such a dramatic influx of migrants that are coming in. Hmm. I mean, you can call them very many different things. Um, I remember when... Uh, in years back when well, the Gang of Eight was... Hold that thought right there about the Gang of Eight. I want to hear that. We're up against a break. We're going to have to take that. Brittany Parks is my guest. We'll be back with Brittany in a moment right here on The Shepherd. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 
or visit ecwaters.com. Back again now for segment two, and my guest is Brittany Parks. Brittany was a part of our Shepherd team for a, about a year, uh, ending about a year ago. So uh, a good part of 21 and part of 2022, Brittany was here and really is beloved here in this uh, group of radio stations and by our shepherd team. And we're so glad to have you here. Uh, You're here today and what kind of sparked this invitation to come and be on my program. Not only are we talking about things that are important and they're going on and uh, unless someone has been under a rock for the last two years, they've heard all about the problems with immigration, the open border policy that the administration has allowed to go into effect. All of this, it, this is what makes it seem so surreal to me. That happened. This reversal of this policy for the border came on the heels of when President Trump was doing all that he was doing about building this wall. It was long before that, actually. Um, I think that he got a lot of attention nationally because people were really feeling the way he was feeling. But if we go back uh, just 10 years, this has been brewing in our nation for quite some time. Oh, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, is that the official governmental position by the United States federal government, meaning from the presidency uh, under Trump, is a, a 180 from what it is right now. That's the difference. 1,000%. You're correct. <laughs> That's right. It couldn't be more different. And and so we've gone from an effort by one president to build a wall and secure our border to now the new administration just saying, hey, come on in, walk on in. You know, these boots are made from walking, right? And so they're able to walk in and they, they're, uh, when a, a time that was still going on, you mentioned COVID in segment one, a time that was going on where uh, Americans were being with restricted from uh, the standpoint of COVID and even some of the freedoms and kids had to wear masks. But we're opening up and saying to anyone that is coming in, and you're right, it's not just Mexicans, it's anyone coming through that border area from other nations all around the world. Hey, come on in, bring your diseases, bring your fentanyl, bring your drug cartels, and that's really what's being said. I mean, it's it's happening. And these people down there are uh, the, the good people of our border uh, workers, those that are agents, uh, the Border Patrol. They're having to work 24-7 to try to bring any semblance uh, out of chaos, to, to, of order out of chaos. I would say that we really need to pray for, for those that are on the front line. They see things that um, we see in movies that we are able to turn off but those are things that they cannot turn off and they can't unsee Uh, we talk about human trafficking and a policy point uh, but florida has a high human trafficking realm and that's coming right out of our southern border or ports Mm -hmm. um and florida is we someone could say we're landlocked no we are uh not landlocked at all. We are covered with sea and we are very blessed to have an ocean right by us all the time. But that ocean always brings lots of different possibilities of those that are coming coming into our nation. Um, but they also see really heartbreaking things. Uh, they see the fentanyl coming in. They see uh, human trafficking, like we said. They also see uh, drug cartels coming in and uh, thinking that this is their land made for them. Yeah. And they're taking full advantage of the freedoms that they're being given right now. Now, your article that you wrote, it was published in a uh, journal that is in the Beltway in Washington, D.C. Now, how did you make that contact? How did, Were you invited or did you submit this article? How did that happen? So it was submitted. Um, this is definitely 100% out of my comfort zone. But I was born and raised in a border community. My family still lives there. My grandmother lives there. My uh, parents live there. I have friends and family. And they had recently written a letter to Gavin Newsom, an open letter, um, some public officials. And just it, it was moving. It had great stats. It just wasn't getting into the area that it needed to get into. And so I wanted to bring uh, put the pieces together that it wasn't just California that was going through this. It was Arizona. It was Texas. It, this isn't a, if it's an isolated incident, that means it's a state issue. But if it's multiple states, then it becomes a federal issue. And I wholeheartedly believe that this is a federal issue where our federal government has dropped the ball for 
for decades. Now, the federal government should be working with all of the different state governors. That's the what should be happening in a case like this. We're grateful for the federal input during times of hurricanes, when you get FEMA help and all of that. That's a wonderful thing. But in this case, I go back often and I think about the words of Ronald Reagan, who said, you know, it's the government is the problem, is what he said here. And by and large, that is a good description about what's going on. The The problem, yeah, we know it's not the government that's bringing in these drugs and these cartels. It's not the government per se doing that. But it is the government turning a blind eye and allowing all of this to happen, and they're coming in. Now, Brittany, you had this thought, and I like the fact that you capitalized on the fact that the governors of our fine states, uh, in these border states especially, uh, their role has kind of moved right up to front and center in all that's going on. We know it happened that way with uh, the Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade overturning on June 24th, and that took this federal issue that was always held as an umbrella of permission Roe versus Wade is gone. And now all of that is going, guess where, folks? To the states. And every state now has the opportunity to legislate where they are. And many states had these uh, kind of laws already in place. And the moment it was a trigger law, the moment that Roe v. Wade overturned, boom, these new laws went into effect in those states, greatly restricting in some states mildly restricting in other states, Florida would be one of those, kind of in the middle. And then there are, continues to be states that are acting like Roe v. Wade never went away. And they are actually working hard at becoming a destination for an abortion. Unfortunately, yes. Um, I would say when it comes to the border, governors have seen firsthand the impact, um, not only economic, public health, but just their demeanor of their own citizens if their governor is not going to protect them and their federal government's not protecting them who will so that's when you see governors stepping up and saying i made an oath to protect my citizens of xyz state if that's texas if that's florida if that's new mexico if that's colorado they're going to step up and take whatever means possible to protect their citizens they're not going to talk to the federal government if the federal government is not doing it because that's not their priority at this time. Their priority is always going to be their citizens. Former Arizona Doug Ducey, he leveraged available resources around him. He actually got shipping containers. He was very yeah, I saw very that. friendly when it comes to um, seeing his uh, So his he continues resources. the wall with he did. shipping containers. Um, and he got pushback from this, but he created a barrier while he was in office. He's no longer in office now. There's a Democratic governor in Arizona, but He took, I would say, it into his own hands, and he said, you know what? If Trump is no longer in office and they're no longer going to continue to build a barrier between Mexico and Arizona, I need to do something to protect my citizens, to protect the well-being of the state. And so that's what he did. But he's not the only state to do this. Um, Governor Greg Abbott out of Texas, he actually continues to build the wall to this day uh, between Texas and and Mexico. The same wall that the was being built. The exact same yeah. built wall that was being built that the federal government is no longer funding. Texas, the state of Texas and their taxpayers are funding this for their own security. It may not go all the way to Arizona. It may not go all the way to California or New Mexico. But guess what? When it stops at the Texas border, that's when they're going to stop building because it's in Texas' best interests. Mm-hmm. He's going to do what's right for Texas. And you cannot blame him. You, I, It would make me want to live there. Just like when Governor DeSantis looks out for us and our well-being, we applaud him. We want to live in a place that we know our leader is protecting us. I agree. And I think you bring up uh, DeSantis. Governor DeSantis is leading uh, courageously. Now, I know that he and Governor Abbott both did what a lot of people thought was controversial in sending some of these illegals to the blue states that have supposedly now welcomed them. They're sanctuary states. But isn't it funny? I think it's quite humorous at the comments that some of these people, they complain and they're crying and they're saying, we can't have this. We're being overrun. We're, this is not right. And they only get them for a few days. 
Yeah, and I'm thinking like you need to go down and walk a, a day in the shoes of Texas or Arizona or but New Mexico. But it's not just the border, it's our schools, it's every single part of our daily life, it's our hospitals that are being impacted. And it doesn't just happen overnight, it's like a trickle effect. Uh, or like when you boil a chicken, the chicken doesn't know that it's dying, it it just dies. And, and then you're able to take off every single feather. You that's the same thing with immigration people don't realize when it's happening because you as a caring person want to embrace your neighbor it's human nature to want to say my home is your home let me protect you it isn't until you have nothing because you've given it all away right yeah to see that that you are you are more naked than your neighbor right it's a tough time and it's going to take a lot of hard work to kind of right the ship back up at the southern border right now. I don't know how long or what it's going to take, but it needs to start sooner than later if we're ever going to see this thing go. And I applaud the efforts of both Governor Abbott and the governor of Arizona for doing what he's doing. Now, that brings up the point of your article. You have a headline of your article that governors have become protectors of the American dream. So basically now with all of this, and you know, Dave Zanotti, you will remember Dave, Mm -hmm. been on my program so many times. He's probably my highest number of uh, times visited by any one single guest. He talks about this uh, all the time, is that these these governors are, it's the state situation. Uh, We're not not, uh, to be, as what Dave says, so enamored with the president. He says we're in love with the presidency in America. And I think he's right. I think we have made a bit of a celebrity out of some of these politicians, especially the president. But it should be we are the United States of America. And so we need to be doing as a nation, yes, uh, in in cooperation with these states that are supposedly united. Brittany, I don't think we're too united right now. Well, it is the great experiment. And so we have to remember that all of these states are competing to be the best and the brightest. They not only compete on an economic level, but they're competing on education. They're competing on tourism. You name it, they're all competing on different levels of of different resources, on popularity, as you named, but also on the best place to live. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a blue state or a red state, they're going to try to attract you with their natural resources. Well, I have beaches in California. Well, I have the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Well, I have Yellowstone here. <laughs> uh, you, you name it, they're all going to be catching for your attention. Oh, I have Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. I mean, they all ha- they're all beautiful in their own right. But at the same time, it's, it's the great experiment. There's no other nation that has 50 states competing because if one of those states does something right then the federal government will see it and then bring it a part of the federal government it'll become a national standard but that's what makes the great experiment so cool benjamin franklin talking about the republic he said it's a republic if you You can can keep keep it." it and that is going to be the question can we keep it are the people in the United States going to just kind of do what so many did in COVID and just kind of lay over and have our rights stripped from us. And I know a lot of people right now are saying that is not going to ever happen again. What happened in the COVID lockdown, those two weeks, Brittany, that we were supposed to be slow downs, flattening the curve as the, as the word was. So governors are, you're seeing governors now, are, are being asked, in what particular way do you think their role in not just the border states, but let's say any governor in the United States right now, what, what uh, steps do they need to be mindful of? How are you seeing governors being the caretakers, if you will? Oh, that's a fabulous question. I would say the first person that I would look at as, as a great governor and a great leader is one that you wouldn't necessarily think of um, because she's not always in the headlines. And I would say her name is... Uh, Kim Reynolds, Governor Kim Reynolds out of Iowa. She has led from the very beginning from COVID. Um, wh- wh- I don't even states- know that I've I've heard any articles about her at all. Yeah, she was actually in Florida not too long ago with Governor DeSantis, and they were talking about um, life with COVID and not shutting down her schools uh, in Iowa. They did not shut down their schools during COVID, one of the only states to do that, just like South Dakota. Um just something to look at her leadership. She's actually um, 
leading the Republican Governor Association as well. Um, I would say if there's one governor to, to keep your eye on, the way Governor Kim Reynolds goes is the way you will see the rest of the governors follow. Um, she's she's young, she's bright, and she's the future. Hmm. Now that's in Iowa. Yes. And so obviously that's always a, a very critical state when it comes to a presidential election. Yes. You have the caucus that's there. And, you know, we are hearing all the time about straw caucuses, straw votes, uh, all about trying to people. I mean, we're two and a half, what, two and a half years out or over two and a half We already years. have some people announcing for presidency. And they're already doing it. And, you know, I that seems to be sooner uh, bringing on this now the next presidential election cycle seems to be sooner than ever in, in my mind. It just seems so far away. And yet so many people are talking daily, Brittany, about this. And one of the big questions that I hear every day is Ron DeSantis going to run. And he's I bet you he is so tired of having that question <laughs> asked of him. I will tell you, I believe that Governor DeSantis is focused on number one, and that's the state of Florida. That's his number one job, and he has not taken his eye off of his job. Um, he is going in other states right now actually recruiting because we do not have enough teachers. We don't have enough police officers. We don't have a workforce, and he's letting states in the tri-state area know. When I say tri-state area, that's Philadelphia. That's New York. Letting the these the, Yeah, the blue states The there. blue states yeah. No, Guess what? We've got your back. You want to be in law enforcement and you don't think that your superior officer has your back? You come to Florida. We've got your back. We believe in law enforcement here. And that's Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis' number one job. He wants to make sure Florida is number one. We talked about states competing, and that's it. That's He's got his eye on the ball. Now, you know, he's being criticized by some as saying this is an early way of trying to gain national attention in a run for presidency. Do you believe that? I believe that when you're doing a good job, there's always going to be speculation. Mm -hmm. But I know that his number one job is the state of Florida. All right. So let's go back to your article for a second. Governors are having to do this. What would be in your mind? What is the biggest obstacle that the governors are going to be facing when it comes down to their being a, an effective gatekeeper for their state? Well, it's when... Congressional members say things like Marjorie Taylor Greene said, I want to say yesterday, she said, impeach Biden or give us a national divorce. We don't pay taxes to fund foreign countries, wars who aren't even NATO allies. We're sending our sons and daughters to die for uh, foreign wars and foreign borders. Democracy, America is broken. Criminals and cartels reign. And you're a fool. Mm, okay. I would say rhetoric let's, like that. That's, that's a big one. Let's hold that one now. Let's pick that back up on the other side. Got another break. Brittany Parks, she's a fireball. She's with me today. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. I love talking to Brittany Parks. Brittany was a part of The Shepherd for a year, and we talked about that earlier in the program. If you've just tuned in, she's here today because she's written an article that was published in D.C. by the Washington Examiner, uh, and it is entitled, Governors Have Become Protectors of the American Dream. And I think it's important that we all realize the role that governors, in, in one sense of the word, that that hasn't changed, not from the beginning of our understanding of this republic. The governors of states have always been supposedly uh, the one who would be over their sovereign state. And as states, we agreed to bind together and become a nation united together of different states. And And yet we live in a time where so many people are likening America's uh, being thrilled with the presidency, being enamored with the public uh, persona of the presidency. It's almost like when you look at the way some of the rules and some of the laws that have come down as, as edicts, as executive orders from the president, 
And I know some would say, yeah, that was done in, uh, you know, times of Republican presidents. And it was I'm not saying it wasn't, but it's almost, according to some people, like we have a, closer to being a monarch right now, monarchy, than we are a republic. And so the governors have a role. Governors need to step up. And I know, Brittany, I, I bet you would agree with this. Not every governor is handling it as well as a few of the governors are. Not every governor is built the same. That's correct. Yeah, right. They're not all equal. They are all important, but sadly, they're not all leading equally. Uh, You've mentioned a couple of them already. The surprise to me was the Iowa governor. Uh, We know that the people like DeSantis, um, Governor Abbott, uh, the Arizona governor, New Mexico, uh, and we know what's happening in California. And I wanted to shift over to your home state now, California. Uh, That one, uh, they actually had a recall vote on Governor Uh, Newsom, and they put him back in. So what's up with that, Brittany? I will say that California is is a Democrat state. It's run by Democrats. Population alone, you could look at the Electoral College, and that's why they have 54 votes. So even if the Republicans and they were upset Democrats, you would still need to overhaul it by majority. The last time there was a recall was with Governor Gray Davis. And the, the person that took over was the governor. Some of you might ha- have recognized him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my imitation yeah. of him is not that great. But you will know who I'm talking about, Governor yeah. Schwarzenegger. Um, the governors that are Republican that make it, for the most part, you will remember two of them. They were both actors. Um in Ronald California, Reagan. Ronald Reagan, right. and then he ended up being president. And then um, we did have Schwarzenegger for um, his term, and then he he was no longer there. And then ever since, we've had Democrats in charge of the state. You know, I think back then, if you look back at California's history, when Ronald Reagan became the governor, I don't believe anyone thought he would be, A, as great a governor as he was, but I would bet that there wasn't a single person in California that could have ever imagined him becoming the president. He actually lost the first time he ran for governor. Yeah. And so then he becomes the president and most conservatives would believe the best president in our lifetime. He, he definitely did get the, he was the last Republican to get the popular vote yeah. uh, for presidency. So that's something to note. So th- this is a very important uh, thing that's happening. California, uh, they led the way in the wrong direction in my mind during the lockdown even arresting pastors, although we had some of that in Florida as well. Sad to say, it did happen in Florida where a a pastor was arrested for having a Sunday morning service. Now, I I would dare say, Brittany, that would not happen today. That's not going to happen again. Not under Governor DeSantis' watch. No, I'm betting that that would be the case. So what do you see happening? And would would Californians, would they be looking at what's going on right now in this last two months? I'm uh, sorry, last two years of this uh, particular cycle. Are they encouraged or Californians? Well, how are they feeling? I would say that you need to look at history. The last speaker of the house came from California. Her name was Nancy Pelosi. The current Speaker of the House comes from California. His name is Kevin McCarthy. Good point. If you want something done, you know it's going to happen in California, and it's going to happen from either party. So right now, Kevin McCarthy has his eye on the ball on this immigration issue and making sure that the people come to the people. The people's house is coming to the people. For example, they're coming to Arizona. The House Oversight Committee is coming. I don't believe that this, the next two years, when while Kevin McCarthy is in charge, is going to be government the way we knew it. The people are coming to see the people. So now you're, I'm getting that, you're really optimistic that McCarthy's leadership is going to make a difference. I know that everybody uh, thought that this was a joke um, when they were voting for speaker, but I think this is why it took so long to elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker, because they knew he was going to shake things up and people were scared. Now, now some, some would take a different angle on that, and you tell me if you believe that there's anything to this at all. Some would believe that, that those that were holding on for the best of decisions and the strength uh, were actually wanting to make sure that they had the word from McCarthy that he was going to be listening to their ear. Do you believe that's true? I believe it takes a lot of things to make bacon. And this is not Kevin McCarthy's first rodeo in any way, shape or form. He's a professional and he knows how to deliver for the American people. Okay, so 
Uh, I'm encouraged that you're encouraged. I, I tell you, folks, you can tell from listening uh, to be with Brittany, there's going to be like nonstop thoughts, nonstop activity. Uh, some people, you know, yeah, I think of you and I think of a line from uh, You've Got Mail. You know, Brittany makes coffee nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to but that is my next line. That's funny. That's, I think that's, you know, that you wear me out at times, but I love that. Uh, mm. It is so good. And I'm encouraged. I, I've, I've, I haven't been quite as enthusiastic about it as I wanted to be because of history. Again, I go back to Trump's first two years as president, only serving now one term. For the first two years, he had an entirely Republican House and Senate. But they didn't trust him. There was a difference. I think that's what we need to remember. He had to earn the conservatives' trust. And he did that over time. And then once he did, he became the people's champion. But that meant appointing conservative judges, getting wins on the Supreme Court. Well, he did all of that. Yes, it took time. It took those two years. But after those two years, the Democrats were ready to clean his clock. And they did. Yeah. They came home. Now, do you now just just wondering, do you feel that everything was on the up and up on that election in 2020? Well, I was in Georgia uh, right after the election. I saw a lot of things. I will tell you that I do believe in a smooth transition of power. I think that's what makes our country so special. Um, And that's what we always have to remember. Do I think that our election needs to be rehauled in the sense of there needs to be more transparency because Every single supervisor of election is done at a county level. I think that our people need to be trained 100%. I think that there needs to be some some rules on a federal level on how these things should happen, but they should still be regulated in the states. Saw some things that shouldn't have happened, um, but I'm sure that this isn't the first election that things happened that shouldn't have been happened because we need to remember, uh, for the large part, a lot of these elections you have volunteers that mm-hmm. are paid yeah. um, that come in. Poll watchers. The, uh, poll watchers are different. The, these are um, poll workers. Mm-hmm. They come in and they're paid between 100 and $200 for the day and go to a little bit of training and then they work this. Um, so we need to keep in mind, these are not trained professionals. These are volunteer paid volunteers. So if we want to see a different outcome, we need to invest differently in that outcome. Now, we know for a fact that some of the laws that were on the books were not followed due to the COVID protocols changing and opening up drop-off locations, voter boxes that people could just come up. And all of that is very, like you could say, ripe for fraud. And the opportunity, if that were to be uh, wanted to be undertaken is much easier when you've got a, a blind eye to those things. And you're allowing things that really were illegal to become acceptable. And that's exactly what did happen. So hopefully for 2024, hopefully uh, that will not be the case. And those things, uh, you know, by and large across the states, there'll be safeguards to keep that from happening. But, you know, you're you're right that it, it trust in leadership, uh, you know, is important. Now, you worked in the campaign, if, if I can say this. Yes, correct. I worked for Donald Trump. You did. Before you ever came to work here, you were involved. What was your role in that? I was the director in Florida of strategic initiatives, which meant uh, that Latinos for Trump, Blacks for Trump, women for Trump, Americans, uh, I would say Americans in any coalition in the big tent party of the Republican Party were welcome. Um, if you had a voice and you wanted your voice to be heard, we would find a way for you to let that voice be heard. Now, I know that during that time frame when you were working, there would be days that you would be literally in just about every time zone or every zip code in Florida. What was the craziest day for you during that time? It was crazy and it was full of adventure, but at the end of the day, I would say the most special part would be when you got to see folks that just became United States citizens say they just took their oath of um, citizenship. And the first thing they did was come into an office and ask how they could volunteer because they wanted the America that they knew. They worked so hard to become a legal, a legal citizen um, because they wanted that for their family. They knew what socialism was like. 
they came from a socialist country or a dictatorship, and that's why they fled is because they knew how special America was. And mm -hmm. so that would energize me every day. Didn't know, matter how long the day was or what had just happened. It was hearing those stories that if they came from Venezuela, if they came from Haiti, it didn't matter where they came from, but they all had the same, even China, they had the same yearning for the American dream. Mm hmm now, we ended up the last segment talking about that thing, the, the national divorce or whatever oh, that was. Yes. And I want to end on a positive thing. I, I, I really want, we've got just a couple of minutes left. You know, when we look over the landscape, again, your article in the Washington Examiner is talking about governors really have the gate. They're the gatekeepers right now for what we have loved and held dear in our freedoms in America. And so we need to be praying for them. We, we love this state, this, the state. I love the great, I call it all the time, the great free state of Florida. That's where we are. But I also love our country and I'm grateful that I'm an, an American. And I think a lot of people right now, we're so divided. Wouldn't you agree? Our country is more divided in some ways than in recent years. I mean, we've got to somehow come back together again. And I'm hoping it's not going to take a tragedy like a 9-11, uh, you know, that incident to kind of bring us back together again. Are you hopeful that we can do that? I'm hopeful because there was a revival in Ashbury. I don't think it has anything to do with what the national stage is. I think it has everything to do with someone's heart. If someone has a heart for Christ, then their output in the world will change. Then we won't hold on to things that are superficial, that don't matter. We will come to the table for solutions. But if we have hard hearts, we will not be there to serve the people. The first job of a leader is to be a public servant. It's not for their ego. It's to serve the people. That's why they signed up for the job. I'm hopeful because I believe that there was revival in Ashbury. And if there was revival in Ashbury, that means there can be revival anywhere from Orlando, Florida to uh, Sacramento, California, you yeah. name it, it can be there. But unless people's hearts change, there will not be a difference. When this uh, congresswoman said that there should be a divorce, it really broke my heart because it's more of uh, an examination of where our heart is as a nation. We saw so many things in 2020 that happened that were destructive. People's hearts weren't right with Christ. You could see that they had a yearning. Mm-hmm. They had a yearning, and this thing that's happened at Asbury, it's happening in places like Baylor. I heard a report from my interview with Dr. Harris that uh, it's actually breaking out in colleges like that. So we've got great hope. There is a lot to be thankful for, and I agree with you, Brittany, that we, we should be asking God through prayer for revival and that uh, the national sense of America will change as our hearts of its citizenry mm -hmm. return to God. How can people read your fine article? You can go to the Examiner. It was published on Sunday. Uh, today is the 21st, so it was published on the 19th. With the Washington Examiner, just Google that. You'll see it and look for Brittany Parks, and there she will be. Nice to have you here, Brittany. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. All right, and friends, we're out of time. We'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd.